and just being together in close fellowship is fantastic. So tonight, um, we're going to learn, maybe for some of us, uh, a new language. Has anyone here ever had to learn a new language? There's quite a few. <laughs> yeah. So kids, what, are, you, do you, are you studying like a, a, a language at school? Do you, Bonjour. Are you taking French? <laughs> you were born in France? Oh, wow. So you had to learn English. Yeah, there you go. I love it. See, I had no idea what you said. I, I know bonjour. Jour, jour. See, I don't even know how to say it properly. Hello, hello, pastor. Okay. Learning a new language is hard, right? It, it, it is totally hard. Um, uh, when I was in school, I had to learn uh, a language that I didn't really want to. I studied German in school. Uh, and then in college, uh, I learned another language that I really, really, I wanted to learn, but I really, really didn't want to learn, and that was Greek. That was hard, because it's not something that you, you talk uh, in, like ancient Greek, right? Biblical Greek, you, you would read it, and that kind of thing, but it's not something that you would converse in or talk to somebody in, so that was really hard. Uh, over the next six weeks, we're going we're gonna to learn a new language. It's something that we've probably heard before, read before, but it's something that we have difficulty speaking. Yeah, Hebrew. No, it's not. The word, the language is lament. Has anybody heard uh, the word lament? Okay. We're, I'll, I'll explain to you in a minute what the word lament means, but uh, we're going to look at some examples. There are more than... Uh, so if you look at the, the book of Psalms, which is like the Hebrew, the Jewish people, the book of Psalms was like their hymn book, right? Back in the church day, they had hymns and our hymn books in every pew, right? So you pick it up and we sing together, just like we sang now off the, uh, the screen. We have a database of songs. So the Psalms was like uh, the Jewish people's database. So if you look there, more than one-third of the Psalms are laments, um, 42 of them are individual laments written by various people, and 16 were corporate laments where they would uh, sing these songs together. It was a common language in biblical times to lament. Um, a third of their time, they literally, when they sang, they voiced and sat in the doubt-filled tension of life. In, in layman's terms, they sang about stuff that really sucked. Can I say that? <laughs> Life sucks. And this is what I'm going to say to God, and this is how he's going to respond to me, and this is who I discover about him in the middle of that. The Bible is full of lament, and yet lament is often a missing part of our corporate gatherings, and it's a missing part of our lives individually. So we're going to do an exercise tonight. You've got these cards under your chairs that are called lament. We're going to get to those in a few minutes. So um, laments in the Bible, you see on the screen there, the corporate laments in the Psalms. You've got individual laments in the Psalms. Quickly write it all down. I'll, the exam is coming later. I'm just kidding. There's other laments in the Old Testament, including, believe it or not, can anybody guess the name of the book where there would be a lot of lamenting going on? Lamentations. So tonight marks the beginning of a series that Pastor Chris, and he'll do most of it, preach through the book of Lamentations. 
In fact, he's going to kick off Lamentations next Saturday and then next Sunday morning in, in uh, Agassiz as well. So he's going to give me a break next, next weekend, and I'm giving him a break tonight as I introduce the series. We're not going to start in Lamentations tonight. We're actually going to start in Chronicles because that gives the backdrop to Lamentations. So uh, there's also lament in the New Testament, uh, quite a bit of it. In fact, in Acts chapter 8, verse 2, it says this, after the death of Stephen, he was the first uh, Christian martyr, it said, devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. So you see lament as well in the New Testament. To lament means this. It means to express deep, deep grief and to mourn over great loss. And it often asks, where are you, God? Have you ever asked that internally? Where are you, God? Why is this happening, God? What went wrong? Sometimes uh, we are often uncomfortable expressing these things um, out loud or on paper, but we do it all the time internally. We like reading the laments, but not writing them or expressing our grief over loss. It doesn't come easy for us. An author named Paul Miller in a, in a book called A Praying Life says this, we think, and I think it'll be on the screen, yeah, there, we think laments are disrespectful, but God says the opposite. We live in a deeply broken world. Lamenting shows that you are engaged with God in a vibrant, living faith. So when you, when you can express the depths of your heart, that means that your faith is actually growing and vibrant and living when you can be completely honest with your Lord, our, our God, our maker. So what is a lament prayer? We're gonna unpack the next four points in a little more detail soon, but a lament is a prayer in pain, a prayer in pain that leads to trust. And there's four elements of lament. You'll see them on the slides as they come in. The first is that we turn to God for help. And this is what lamenting does. When we lament something, when we grieve, when we mourn something, it, it, it forces us to turn to God for help. Secondly, uh, the second part of lament is it's bringing a complaint to God. But it, it doesn't just stay there. See, if we were just to only complain, that wouldn't be very useful. Um, when I complain, there's people in my life that just tell me to stop. <laughs> stop it! There has to be a point to it. Number three, ask. It, it forces us to, to ask boldly for help by calling on God to act. It's not wrong to complain, but it has to move forward. There has to be a request. And then, this is the most important part of lament, is we choose to trust and put our confidence in God. We turn, complain, ask trust, and proper lamentation will bring us through those four stages. I want to share some examples uh, with you of laments in the Psalms. There's going to be three of them I'll read. In fact, it's interesting, I read another one this, just this morning under my devotions, uh, Psalm 31, and I love how uh, the psalmist is pouring out his heart to God, and then in verse 14, it, it turns, it says, but... But I trust in you, O Lord. I say, you are my God. My times are in your hand. Rescue me from the hand of my enemies and from my persecutors. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. O Lord, let me not be put to shame, for I call upon you. 
I love that. I love how the complaint turns to complete trust and confidence in God. So let me read a few other examples. Psalm 13, Psalm of David. How long, O Lord? He turns to the Lord and he says, how long? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Here's the turn. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. A proper lament always includes um, elements of uh, the attributes of God, who God is. We acknowledge his sovereignty in our lives. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountiful bountifully with me. Psalm 22, another one, verses one through five. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Does that sound familiar? We're gonna come back to that, that one at the end. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night I find no rest. Yet, there's that turn, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Psalm 77, one more. I cry aloud to the God, aloud to God and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble I seek the Lord. In the night my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God I moan. When I meditate my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open, so I am, I am so troubled that I cannot speak. Have you ever been so troubled that you just can't speak? <laughs> I consider the days of old, the years of long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. Then I said, then, see now it's turning. Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of my Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. With your arm, you with your arm redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Selah. So why do this? Why lament? I'm going to give you six reasons, then we're going to get into it a little bit. Number one, it is a language for loss. We often don't know how to express our loss in inappropriate ways. And so, historically, lament has been the language of people who are hurting. They've lost something significant. I, I was on a, on a phone call with my dad. Actually, yesterday I talked to him for about a half an hour. I talked to him again twice. Talked to a few of my siblings. And my dad was lamenting loss. Uh, last weekend was the first anniversary of my mom's death. 
And so my dad now has lived a whole year without his wife of, uh, man, they were 60-some years married, right? And, um, and then last week, the government sent him a letter telling him, because he had a geriatric, geriatric evaluation done about a month ago, and SGI sent him a letter saying that he has lost his license. They suspended his license. And he also confided in me that he's driven illegally a few times. I said, Dad, don't do that. You're going to lose more than your license if you keep doing that. You cannot. So now we're at this phase where we actually might have to just take his keys away from him or sell the vehicle. We're not sure what to do. But he said, he said, Eldon, I've, this, is, this year I've been driving for 70 years. 16 when I got my license, he's now 86. Been driving for 70 years. And he said the government doesn't have one record of on uh, one blemish on their record from my driving. I have not been in an accident. I've never got a speeding ticket. I've never had a parking ticket. My record is clean. And after 70 years, they just take it away. And he was lamenting his loss. This is so hard for him. And, uh, and so we just, we listen. And I'm glad that he's able to verbalize it, right? It's not easy for him to do because he's never, my dad's never been a complainer. So you may, you may say, why focus on this? I mean, the past is in the past or like bad stuff happens. Just, let's just move forward. <laughs> I mean, if you're in a place in your life right now where everything is really good, that's fantastic. But many people do need to put their loss to language. And... Um, those of you here who are not in that spot right now, maybe in the future you will need to as well. Lament provides vocabulary. It's a language for talking to God through some deep pain. Number two, it is the solution for silence. And there's a very real danger for Christians because you can either be too afraid to be honest with God about your doubt and your pain and your hardship, or you can be too angry and you can talk inappropriately or refuse to talk to God at all about those things. And you know what? Both of them lead to depression. My, my wife's uh, dad, my father-in-law, is a, is a counselor. He's a trained biblical counselor. He's got lots of degrees in that. He's a very down-to-earth person. But one of the significant things I, I learned from him is he said, Eldon, uh, depression is nothing more than stuffed anger and resentment. When you're dealing with stuff that makes you incredibly angry or you, you resent somebody or you're, you bottle it up, you get depressed. Leads to depression. And, and then when that lasts uh, too long, it can lead to some pretty significant health issues or all of a sudden there's an eruption where it's like a volcano and then everybody gets spewed on, right? And there's collateral damage. So, so it's good to break the silence uh, by way of lament. And some of you maybe have stopped talking to God about certain things. You haven't talked to God for a long time about certain things that are painful for you, that you've lost in your life or that you are losing. You're worried about maybe being irreverent or you have shame or you, you feel like your prayers are falling on deaf ears or I don't know. Lament is your way to start talking to God again, even if it's really messy, you know? I think proper lamenting would actually solve a lot of problems of people going to counselors and psychiatrists and all that kind of stuff. They have their place. But I, for me, 90% of counseling is just being able to uh, have people talk. 
And for a good counselor just knows how to ask good questions and listen. And as people process their pain verbally and, and are, aren't silent about it, it does so much. <laughs> I remember one time, uh, this was in our second church, I pastored in, we pastored in Richmond. Um, I, I've, I've preached here before, and I think the last time I preached here, correct me if I'm wrong, but I talked a little bit about some difficult things that I've gone through in my past. I was abused when I was a child. I was abused sexually. And it's something that I, I am free to talk about now. I've done a lot of processing over that. Uh, but I remember one time I, uh, I talked from uh, the book of Genesis because Joseph was also abused by his brothers. And he said, you know, to them in the final end, he said, I don't harbor any bitterness against you. In fact, what happened, you meant it for harm, but God meant it for good, for the saving of many lives. He was able to say that to them uh, later in life. And so um, I used this uh, in a sermon in a, in a series in Genesis and I was talking about what, God, what happened in my life was actually used for, uh, for saving people because I can identify with people who have been abused, right? And can share the, the hope of the gospel with them and, and the forgiveness uh, that Jesus offers and, and the healing that he offers. And one woman came up to me after the service very angry very angry. She says, what on earth are you talking about that stuff for in church? She goes, you ought to take all of that stuff. Because like my case, when I, like, I was abused by a, a serial pedophile. And so it was in the news everywhere. I went through a lot of court stuff. It was like, it was crazy. It was out there, right? And I have all of the newspaper articles. I got everything. I have all of the court documents. I have it all. And I was sharing, like I was just showing a little bit of it. I wasn't reading it all. She was very angry with me and said, you should put that, you should burn that stuff, she said to me. Burn it. Don't ever talk about it. It's not good to talk about that stuff. And I thought, um, okay, you've either had no hurt in your life and you just don't see the point, or number two, you've had lots of hurt and you just don't know what to do with it. This is stirring something up for you. And I think it was the second. So, so tonight, if, if, if my message, if God's message is stirring something up for you, uh, that's a good thing. Don't get angry at me. <laughs> you, you need to lament <laughs> in a healthy way and, and be able to talk to God about that stuff. And so we're going to give you an opportunity to start that process tonight. Number three, it's a category for complaints. So I love how Psalm 13 starts with, how long, O Lord, are you going to forget me forever? Are you going to hide your face from me forever? How long do I have to have sorrow in my heart? And we can, um, we can express our grief to God in a way that is biblical, which is so freeing. Number four, it is a framework for our feelings. God has given us our feelings, and we need to put them in a proper framework. Lamenting allows us to do that. Biblical lament, actually, it, it keeps us from the trap of self-centeredness, where, it, where it's like all about me, and also from spewing on other people, and from... Um, accusing God wrongly. So biblically, when we put our, our, our thoughts into, um, and our feelings onto paper, we can express them in a healthy way that acknowledges who God is and the feelings that he has given us that get damaged. Uh, it validates the expression of pain and provides a framework for doing that. Number five, it is a process for our pain. Talked about that. Um, and what happens is when you process your pain properly, 
and you embrace a, a, a process, it actually leads to deeper faith. See, when we clam up and we stuff things and we get depressed and we get angry and we lash out at other people, that actually doesn't draw us closer to God or other people. But when we, when we process our pain in the correct way, it actually deepens our faith. It gives us more resolve. It deepens our hope in, our, in God and our trust in other people too. And number six, it is a way to worship. So if you're, <laughs> I need, it drives me crazy when, when, when people say uh, they, they relegate worship to what we just did here. Drives me crazy. That's worship. It, it is worship, don't get me wrong, but that is not only worship, okay? So if you, if you think that worship means to have an upbeat, happy demeanor set to music with a guitar and that kind of thing, you need to adjust your concept of worship. Worship means that we give proper acknowledgement and, re- and recognition to who God is. We, we give him glory. We ascribe to him the worth that is due to God every day of our lives, whether we're happy, sad, or life just simply sucks. <laughs> when, when we can do that, we have worshiped. 24-7 in all of life, the way we speak to people, the way we give and receive, the way we treat people, the way we sing, the way we read, the way we interact with our kids, with our employer, with whatever, all of it can either take away from the goodness and the glory of God or it can attribute to that. And we need to be careful to live lives of worship and lamenting is a way to worship. In fact, there is nothing that is more inspiring and faith-enriching to me when I see people who have gone through deep pain express that to God and, 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 go, and, and I can see their relationship with God just be so much more meaningful and rich and deeper through that pain. To me, that's inspiring. And, and, it, and it deepens my own faith when I see people worship in the midst of pain. So lament isn't all about like life sucks. It, it, it eventually pushes us to there's hope. And that's, we're going we're gonna to see that in the book of Lamentations. Lamentations is raw. It is real. It is very graphic. But it is so filled with hope as well. And that's awesome. Now, despair is the opposite actually of lament. When people despair... They're not lamenting. They're actually manifesting and expressing disbelief. It's where they deny God and that God even listens anymore. And, and, so, and so people stop praying. And some of you actually might be in a state of despair tonight. And I want you to hang in there with me because I want to push you towards lament. Lament is similar, but it's so, so different. Despair is, hope, is hopelessness. It's denying the goodness and faithfulness and love of God. And I get that. Some people here tonight might be so wounded or angry or hurt or confused or frustrated that you've even stopped talking to God. Maybe altogether, maybe just about that part of your life because it's too painful to even talk about it anymore. God, my life has not gone like I've expected. 
You didn't deliver when I keep bringing that person to you who is so far from you and they're not responding. I'm not talking to you anymore because I've struggled with this area of sin in my life for so long and I just can't beat it. I'm not talking to you about my spouse anymore because my marriage is hard and it's not changing. I'm not talking to you about my kids anymore because they've wandered away from you and it's just too painful. I'm not talking about my, my infertility anymore or my pregnancy losses or I'm not talking to you about that diagnosis that the doctor gave me or these circumstances because I just can't deal with it and I'm not seeing anything. I get that. There are times in my life where I've been on the verge of despair. And, and Marcy and I talked just yesterday with a member of our family who is now, I think, beginning to lament in healthy ways, but it confided us in us. We had no idea that when they were a child, they thought they contemplated suicide many times. These are the realities of life that we need to talk about with our kids. With, we do. We need to talk about them. And lamenting is a great way to do this. So, grab a card. If you're, if you're uh, actually maybe on the, on the borderline of despair, you're, you're, you are already living in the land of lament, and it's a really good gift to you. So I, you need to learn the language. As hard as it is, learn the language. Now tonight, I'm not going to get you to write out like Psalm 77 or whatever because it was really long. Tonight, I want you to write, I want you to, your name is optional. You don't need to put that on there because we are going to ask for these, okay? There's a box here. And the reason that we're going to ask for them is because uh, Chris is your pastor. Uh, I'm your pastor from a bit of a distance. I have my own congregation in Agassiz there. But uh, we, as pastors at Central, all of us, we pray. We pray for our people. We pray for you. And so if you want to put your name on, great. If you don't, that's fine. It'll be in God knows your lament. But I want you to just to open up tonight for a couple of minutes, right on there, something that you are grieving over, a loss that you are mourning, a sin that has affected your life deeply. It could be someone else's sin, could be your own, it could be a hurt that someone sinned against you. I don't know. What is it? Put it on paper. Tell God what it is. Okay? Take a couple of minutes, work on that, and if you don't finish now, I'm going to pick up the sermon. Uh, you can write on it while I'm preaching. I won't be offended. End of the service, come and fold it and put it in here. All right, let's work on it for a few minutes. My pack, there we go. Does anyone need a pen? Do we have extra pens around here, or is everybody okay? Oh, there's pens, great.
uh, just just keep writing while I talk. Um, this could be a prayer that you've been praying for years. Maybe not. Could be re- really fresh or recent. But remember, uh, in Ad, uh, Christmas time, Advent, we went through, you know, uh, Luke. Cha- we went through some couple of chapters in Luke. Elizabeth and Zechariah, they were uh, righteous people who were childless and they lamented that a lot in their lives that they weren't able to have their child, a child. And Zechariah, I think, had prayed this prayer over and over and over again and, and then when he was in the temple, when his lot was chosen to go make sacrifice and to pray, the angel, you know, of God showed up and said, I've heard your prayers. Like, I've, the same one that you've prayed now for decades, I've heard it. And maybe he expressed it in a different way because it was a different format for him. So this is just a different format. Right. Keep keep writing. Totally fine if you do that while I talk here. Um, I was lamenting a little bit today. Is 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 interesting. The timing of an email I got from my brother-in-law, and, and I was very touched by it actually because he told me he was praying for me. Oh, that was cool. And the reason he was praying for me is because he saw this. And he forwarded it on to me. I have no idea if it, how true or accurate it, it is. You know, on the internet somewhere, I'm sure. But, of course, that stuff is always true, right? <laughs> it's called this. Pray, pray for your pastor. Now, I'm, I'm not his pastor, but I'm a pastor. And so he was praying for me. 97% of pastors have been betrayed, falsely ac- accused, or hurt by their trusted friends. I've been there. I understand that. 70% of pastors battle depression. 7,000 churches close each year. 1,500 pastors quit each month. 10% will retire as a pastor. 10%. 
80% of pastors feel discouraged. 94% of pastors' families feel the pressure of ministry. 78% of pastors have no close friends. 90% of pastors report working 55 to 75 hours a week. So pray for your pastor. I thought, that's pretty cool. But, I, but it's not. I lament that. I don't know what the statistics are for churches that close, but even in Canada, North America for sure, it's an astounding number that close every year, and I grieve that. <laughs> it's not right. And so that is, that it's a loss that I feel, that I think our nations feel as Christians uh, maybe fight with one another, get into conflict, and allow their churches to go down the tubes. So anyway, that's just one personal thing for me that I was lamenting. I've got lots of stuff to lament. <laughs> going a long time. But I want to I shift uh, us a little bit here from personal lament to corporate lament. Um, there's a man named, named uh, Tabidi um, Anabwile, am I saying that right, Chris? He's a black preacher down in the States. He's uh, in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, fantastic guy. I've heard him preach, like at, uh, in Kentucky at the Together for the Gospel Conference. Really powerful preacher. Anyway, he wrote a book called Exalting Jesus in Luke. Uh, commentary. And he says this. And I did a little bit of research on this today. Soul music began, uh, so he identifies as an African-American with soul music, right? Um, Marvin Gaye, he's talking about Marvin Gaye. So I did some research on, on Marvin Gaye today. So Tabidi Anabwile says this, Soul music began largely as a genre focusing on ballads. The pioneers of soul were crooners, bellowing out sultry lyrics for lovers. <laughs> Marvin Gaye was perhaps one of the most famous soul singers of his era. He started... Uh, this is my, my notes here now. He started actually performing and writing music in 1958. And, he, and so uh, Marvin Gaye was, uh, he grew up in a pastor's home in uh, the Deanward neighborhood of Washington, D.C., became the poster boy of, this, of a smooth, sultry, romantic sound with hits like How Sweet It Is to Be Loved by You, I Heard It Through the Grapevine, and... Uh, with Tammy Terrell, and then Ain't No Mountain High Enough, and You're All I Need to Get By. So he wrote all that stuff kind of in the late 50s, early 60s. But then, by the 1960s, many artists and genres of music became more concerned with the political issues and causes of the day, including Marvin, and he released a string of chart-topping hits like his 1971 tune, so the 60s changed him, and it went from all of these ballads and love songs to like, what's wrong with society? He wrote, it, he wrote his uh, chart-topping chart hit, like, What's Going On? It's like, it's like a psalm, right? Like, what's going on? <laughs> Where are you, God? Kind of a thing. Uh, Inner City Blues, Make Me Want to Holla, Mercy, Mercy Me, What's, what's Going On Again? And, uh, yeah, okay, Mercy, Mercy Me. Uh, they capture the anguish cry of a disenchanted and disenfranchised generation. The songs were urban laments, really, Longing for an almost mythic day when things like hunger and war would cease to exist. In other ways, the songs gave voice to a question, a prayer really, that almost irrepressibly escapes one's lips amidst life's turmoil. Gay seemed to be crying out with his generation for mercy. That's the name of one of his songs, Mercy, Mercy, Me. 
The cry for mercy is as old as humanity's fall in the garden. It's been uttered, whispered, and yelled in every generation among every people since sin entered the world. When we reach those limits, something in us looks for mercy. So Marvin Gaye was born in the late 1930s. My dad was born in 34. And uh, he began music in 58. He ended his career, or his career ended in 1984, short career, um, when he was shot to death at the age of, he was one day shy of turning 45. He was 44 years old, he was shot to death by his own father. This guy had a lot to lament in his life, personally, and then it turned corporate to, to what was going on in the world. I think that's maybe why he wrote all his love songs, because the circumstances around his death, he intervened in a fight between his mother and his father. And he got in there to protect his mom. And he had a physical altercation with his dad. He went to his room, must have still been living with him as an adult. A couple of minutes later, his dad came in and shot him. That's pretty serious stuff. Um, and so he turned uh, halfway through his life, like I said, to corporate lament. And what we're going to do this morning, just to end here, is to summarize 2 Chronicles 36, because it sets the whole stage for the book of Lamentations and corporate lament about some really ugly stuff that was going on in the nation. So behind, behind the book of 2 Chronicles is the destruction of an entire city and a nation, Jerusalem, Israel. So Israel went through, the, the nation of Israel went through golden years with you know, King David and Solomon, but then it became divided, and then you had the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern king of Judah, kingdom of Judah. So you had ten tribes in the north and two in the south. And the northern tribes were generally more godly. It was like the wild west, only the wild north. And, uh, and that eventually rubbed off on the south. But the northern tribes, they um, were eventually overthrown by Assyria, who took them into captivity in 722 because of the crazy things that were going on up there. And that should have served as a warning to the south, to Judah, but it, but it didn't. And they experienced the same kind of discipline, God's discipline, that the north uh, received. And so we see it kind of mapped out in Second Chronicles 36, where there's five kings that are mentioned. We'll go through them quickly. Josiah was the first king. He was the last godly king in Israel's history before they were just wiped out, taken into captivity, north and south. So Josiah uh, was, was a good guy. There, there was great reform and spiritual vitality under his leadership, but after his death, his death, things unraveled really quickly, politically and morally. Less than 30 years after Josiah's death, the nation was gone. And so, uh, as I said, Assyria was the superpower, but then Babylon came onto the scene and overthrew Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, in 612, and then they overthrew all of Assyria in 690, and then Judah was kind of caught in the middle of all of this conflict. And then you have Jeho, uh, Jehoaz, uh, who reigned for three months before being deposed by Egypt, and in verse 5 of Second Chronicles 36, it says this. Uh, Jehoiakim, third guy, was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. 
So in Jeremiah 25 and 26, it tells us that Jehoiakim Kim, led God's people into idolatry. They refused to listen to God's word. And he even persecuted the prophets. There was a lot of evil that went on. As a result, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came and took Judah, binding Jehoiakim with chains and taking him into captivity, along with some other citizens. You might recognize their names. Uh, Daniel, <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Yeah. So then, it's a family service. I almost forgot. The kids are like, yeah, I know Daniel. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Daniel. Think Jehoiakim, bad guy. That's why Daniel <laughs> went off to Babylon. Let's pick it up in verse 9. Same slide here. Uh, fourth guy, Jehoiakim. 18 years old when he became king. That's not very old to be a king. Uh, he reigned three months and ten days, and he did what was really evil in the sight of the Lord. Second Kings 24 tells us that Babylon came through again, set up a siege, Jehoiakim abdicated the throne, and upon his surrender, the Babylonians raided the temple, uh, the palace, carried off all of the officials, the mighty men of valor, and all of the craftsmen. They completely wiped out the leadership and the infrastructure of the nation. They were ruthless. And at this point, the prophet Ezekiel was taken as part of the deportation to Babylon. So then, number five, we have a guy named Zedekiah. He was 21 years old when he began to reign. Verse 11 tells us of Second Chronicles 36, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And you would think that with such a pattern going on before him that, uh, you know, he would go back to how David and Solomon and those guys reigned, but they didn't. He didn't. Verse 12, he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and actually, he outdid his predecessors. And so God sent the Babylonians one more time. And in 2 Chronicles 36, 12, it says, He did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. So Jeremiah is the guy who wrote Lamentations. All right? He also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who made him swear by his God. He stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord the God of Israel, all the officers of the priests and the people likewise were exceedingly unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations. They polluted the house of the Lord that he had made holy in Jerusalem. Verse 15, the Lord, the God of their fathers, sent persistently to them by his messengers because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place, but they kept mocking the messengers of God, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people until there was no remedy. See, friends, we can tolerate, participate in, put up with evil to a point. God is patient and he is merciful and he's compassionate, but it won't last forever. And, and not only were they participating in this evil, but they were, they were mocking the prophets that he sent. You know, last night, Marcy and I were out late and we were hungry and we decided, we were, decided to come home from Abbotsford through mission. We stopped at Rocco's Diner. Everybody, anybody ever stopped at eating there? It's a cool little place. It's open 24 hours and we had this really bad cheeseburger, fries, and when I say bad, I mean good, but bad for your heart kind of a meal. <laughs> a cheeseburger, the Rocco burger with fries and a chocolate milkshake. We shared. We didn't each have one, so it was 
nonetheless. Why do I say this? Because in the booth right behind us, there's these two girls and this guy, and they were like uh, of pretty questionable character, but they were pretty young. The guy was full of tattoos, but he was using a fair amount of bad language. But what they were doing was they were completely mocking uh, a person that they knew who was a Christian, and they said it out loud. Talking about being a Christian, they were mocking him, and they were swearing, and they were all this stuff. And it just, it, it made me think of Second Chronicles 36, of the people of God mocking the prophets. And, ah, these goody-two-shoes guys, what do they know? Um, in Exodus 34, it says this, The Lord, the Lord... Uh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. See, that's how we want to view God, right? He's merciful, he's faithful, he's loving, and he is. But the verse goes on to say, but, by who, but who by will by no means clear the guilty. What the Bible makes clear over and over again is that this loving God does not leave the guilty unpunished and we need to lament this. And we will lament this. It's going to be our lament tonight, actually. We're going to do a corporate lament together. We, we need to lament the fact that we live in a sinful and fallen world that is so full of sin and evil and we need to lament that. We need to take an honest look at our own depravity which helps us understand just how glorious and how life-giving the good news of Jesus is. And it wasn't just that the kings weren't humble, who were stiff-necked, hard-hearted. It was all the officials, all the priests, all the people. This was corporate. So then in verse 17 of Second Chronicles 36, it says this, Therefore he brought up against them the king of the Chaldeans, God did that. God brought the king of the Chaldeans who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion on young man or virgin, old man or aged. He gave them all into his hand and all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the kings and of his princes. All these he brought to Babylon and they burned the house of God and broke down the wall of Jerusalem and burned all its palaces with fire and destroyed all its precious vessels, all the riches of Solomon that he had placed in the temple, the place God had gladly dwelled among his people, were burned, the city was laid waste. He took into exile in Babylon those who had escaped from the sword and they became servants to him and to his sons until the establishment of the king of Persia to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. All the days that it lay desolate, it kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years and the destruction of Judah was complete. The city that David was meant to meant to be a light to the nations, was decimated, burned, and dark. The chosen people of God are now either dead or displaced or destitute in captivity. And the rebellion of God's people brought this upon them. And so the book of Lamentations was written. And as I look around at our society and I see the decimation and the destitute and the dead and the rebellion and the evil, it ought to bring us to our knees in lamentation over what is happening. And this sets the, this sets the stage, which we'll pick up 
next year, or next week, next year. So how do we, how do we let's, let's conclude this by bringing this sort of to our moment. How, how do we deal with all of this uh, tragedy and sin on a grand scale that we've seen quite a bit in the world lately, right? I mean, our world is just reeling. Our world is reeling from natural disasters and, and sicknesses and illnesses. And I mean, we could go on forever talking about it. What do we do with this? Lamentations is dark. Our world seems kind of dark right now. Um, but Lamentations, while dark and very raw, is not sinful, it's hopeful. It's embedded with hope. I, w- I watched an episode of Restaurant Impossible last night. Do you like that? Robert Irvine? That guy's awesome. He goes in and cleans house and he just turns things right around. But the episode we watched last night, the owner of this restaurant was just decimated. With He was depressed. He had no ambition left in him because things were so bad. And Irvine is all excited. He goes, I love my job. I have the best job in the world because I get to bring people hope. That's what he said. And I'm thinking, man, we've got a way better job than Robert Irvine. We're not in an episode of Restaurant Impossible. We're, we're in an episode of Lake Arrock Impossible, <laughs> Agassiz Impossible, Fraser Valley Impossible, The World Impossible. We get to look at a dark situation and bring hope here. Amen? That's what we get to do. That's what Lamentations is all about. We grieve what's going on in the world, but it forces us to have have so much hope for people that things can turn around, that Jesus can save, that he can bring life, that he can lift people out of depression, that things can be better. Amen? (laughs) And it's our desire as pastors here at Central that, you know, we would recapture this beautiful language of lament so that when the bottom falls out of your life personally, your, your faith won't go under with it. Your faith will be held up and corporately so that we together can learn how to lament. It's the same song, only one is the harmony line because we do it together. If we're just singing by ourselves, we're just singing the melody and that's boring. We have to harmonize. That's what corporate lament is. And so lament helps us to interpret what's going on. Language is about interpretation. If you don't know, in, in, if you don't know the language, someone has to interpret for you or translate. Have you ever done that? I've, I've been in settings before. I used to preach in Chinese churches, right? And then every once in a while, like I would speak to the English congregations most of the time, but when, when I had to speak to the older group, then of course you need a translator beside you, an interpreter. And lament actually helps us interpret two things, the reality of sin and evil in our world, but the hope of the gospel. And that's what we're going to do. Jesus, when he hung on the cross, he lamented. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, Scripture says, at the same time, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And he said, in you I trust, God. You know what you're doing. I don't want to drink this cup, but not my will. Yours be done. Jesus lamented, but he lamented with hope because he knew that he would not stay in the grave. Jesus knows that in our world, 
the suffering and the evil that we see around us all the time will not be forever, we can read Revelation 21 and 22 and have hope. And so let's end tonight with a corporate lament. Um, I'm, I'm going to, uh, why don't we stand together? <laughs> and then we're going to sing after we do this. This is a corporate lament for um, maybe for not mourning and fighting over sin, our sin, and the sin that we see going on around us. This is where we're going to start. Each week we're going to lament something. If this doesn't resonate with you or you're not able to say these words, like, you don't have to, but if you want to respond, please do so. Uh, Read the part that says all if you want. Make it a prayer, a lament. We lament our comfort with sin and our indifference to its destruction. The pain it causes and the wedge it puts between us and you, Lord. How long will we let its power hold us hostage and cause harm? We lament, O Lord, hear our cry and forgive us. We lament our lack of mourning over sin, how it hurts us, how it hurts those we love and our neighbors. We know the path sin The path of sin leads to death, and yet we remain apathetic. How long will we struggle to take the grief of sin seriously? We lament, O Lord, hear our cry and forgive us. We lament our passivity to fight the battle of sin. We let it overcome us and invite the enemy in daily. When, O Lord, will you return and set us free from the war that wages deep inside us? We lament, O Lord, hear our cry and forgive us. Let's pray, and then Anna, I think we're going to sing. Lord, thank you for this new language that you're teaching us, and I pray that week by week we would get uh, better at it, and through it that we would learn to trust you more. And thank you, God, for the, uh, the incredible hope that we will see, that we do see in the midst of lament and despair and darkness, the hope of Jesus, that where there is darkness, there is also light which is competing. And we know that the light will win. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you did by going to the cross. And I pray that 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 would make a difference in this area, in Agassiz, in the Fraser Valley, for the glory of God and the good of all people. In Jesus' name, amen.